0: I'm very interested in things that enable remote work. Right now, there's a lot of pain with things like organizing off-sites or knowing when people are working and when people are not working. And sitting in Zoom all day is what we're doing today, but that's not gonna be what we're doing two, three years from now.
1: Welcome back to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Stella Garber, Stella is an active angel investor, and she formerly spent seven years leading marketing at Trello, which then got acquired by Atlassian. And in this episode, we talk about the number of investments she's made. She's made over 20 investments. She's also invested in a number of funds as well. We talk about how that all got started, how she got started angel investing, how she balanced that with a full-time job when she was at Trello, how hands-on she is with startups how she gets conviction around investments, and much, much more. You can find the show notes for this episode at thevitalizedpodcast.com and learn more about us at Vitalize at vitalize.vc. Let's dive in. And three, two, one. Stella, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so
0: happy to be here.
1: Yes, I am excited to dive into your angel investing journey. There's a lot to go through here. Uh, I think it'll be really useful for people. To start with, How did you even begin angel investing in the first place?
0: Well, I have always been really passionate um, and involved in the startup world, whether it's being a founder or an employee or working in BC. The very first angel investment I made was into a startup that was run by um, my old boss, Sean, who I worked with at Fee Fighters, and he was uh, launching a tech enabled insurance company and we were sitting in a coffee shop shop and he was telling me all about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm in like, I, he's such a smart guy. And I had so much respect from working with him. I, I would have wanted to be involved in anything that he did. And so even though I didn't really have a ton of capital, um, I committed to investing and um it's been a that was the the first uh one that I did and they announced their plans to go public earlier this year so it was really oh validating <laughs> yeah well and then the second check that I wrote uh which was thankfully a much smaller check was into <laughs> a company that no longer exists so i feel like the first two uh investments that i made were sort of like you know the extreme positive <laughs> and the extreme negative um but I feel like angel investing gave me an opportunity to be involved and to help and to feel part of a lot of different startups uh, and not just the one that I was currently working on. So that was in 2000, I think, 16. I also um, invested um, as a limited partner in a number of different venture capital funds. I find that's a really great way of getting your feet wet um, because doing direct angel investments takes a lot of time. And I don't honestly, I don't know how operators, especially who are in like executive or leadership positions, how they do it. But that's a really great way of doing it as well. And a lot of funds will let strategic investors like operators come in at a smaller check size than institutional LPs. So that's I think that's something that um, folks, uh, many folks don't realize.
1: Okay, there's a lot with that I want to unpack. But first, I want yeah. to go back to the first investment. <laughs> so the first investment at that time, did you know you were ready to start investing in the startups? Were you like, okay, I'm like, at a point where I want to? Because a lot of times you hear that, you know, companies mentioned a raising and if you're not investing in companies or you haven't done it before, you're like, okay, that's cool. And you just move on. But like, for you, how'd that go?
0: Well, I'd sort of gotten a taste of what the startup life cycle could be, because at that point, so the first startup that I did um, was Fee Fighters uh, with Sean that got acquired by Bonds. You know, I sort of had that taste of, you know, what an early investor, sort of the return that they could have. I don't remember, I don't think that Sean was raising at that time, but I said to him, like, when you raise your friends and family around, like, let me know, I'm, I'll am i write a check. <laughs> And then I came home to my husband and, he, and I was like, we're writing a check into Sean's company. And he was like, hmm, with what money? <laughs> um, but, you know, I think uh, I've been fortunate. Uh, Trello was acquired uh, where I was an executive by Atlassian. And so I had um, I have capital um, to invest in other companies from that uh, liquidity event. So it's uh, it's an exciting time. I've invested in about twenty seven companies uh, to date um, and. Yeah. Uh, I have no plans to stop.
1: <laughs> I love it. That's a lot. I want to go through that too. So with those investments, going from that first investment, did you know that, you a know, certain number of investments you wanted to make per year? You're kind of just opportunistic, being available and open. Like, How did that progress? Because I'm always thinking of other investors who are, one, trying to get started in the first place, and then yes. two, think, thinking about a portfolio or what that looks like. How did you yeah. think through that, Stella?
0: I did not. Uh, I was really fucking busy. I mean, we were building a startup. And so I think, you know, I just, I, after that point, um, I, uh, You know, we we wrote that check and then a few months later a business school friend of mine, Ezra Galston, was raising his first venture capital fund and I was like, We have to write a check into that and 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 my husband was like, With what money? So we did that and then, you know, for a few years, like I had a baby, and the Atlassian acquisition happened, I really sort of fell off the radar and I just didn't have the capacity or the bandwidth to start doing it. And then just maybe like a year and a half ago when thing, the, you know, the pandemic started happening. And I don't know, I was sort of in the mindset that I knew I was going to be leaving Atlassian soon. And I was like, well, I'm going to open the door and start (laughs) meeting people. And I realized like, hey, I have the capacity to start writing checks. So, um, you know, I wrote a lot of checks into the, into venture funds in the last few years. Um, I'm an advisor to a few funds and um, I started networking and there's lots of different ways to do angel investing. As I mentioned, there's the, you know, being an LP and a venture fund, there's also SPVs or special purpose vehicles that, that you can invest into that where someone is sourcing a deal and, you know, Vitalize does a lot of that. Um, and in the last, I think, year, year and a half, Angelist launched the syndicates, what ma- which makes it really easy to invest alongside smart people that get allocations. Uh, Allocations from companies. And then there's also like the direct cap table investing, which I've been trying to do more myself because I want to be able to help companies and I want to be able to be more of a strategic angel along that journey. The thing about that is that it does take a lot of time and energy. And people in, in, in a lot of it is very organic. So people need to know that you're writing checks that you, you know, here's your skill set, here are the areas that you're interested in investing. And, you know, sometimes it's helpful to write a thesis, just like a, you know, uh, a firm would write because you can end up getting a lot of opportunities and being pulled in lots of different directions. So I've definitely found that having a thesis helps me be more focused in my investing uh, journey.
1: Well, for you then, what, what does that look like? What does that entail? And you know, has that evolved your thesis over time?
0: Well, once I started to be more systematic about angel investing, I sort of sat down and said, okay, number one, where can I add value? And I think given my experience, I think a lot about the future of work, collaboration, B2B SaaS, product-led growth. So all of those things are areas that you know I've experienced myself, I've, I've advised companies, et cetera. So I'm very keen to invest in those areas. I think I have kind of an unfair advantage, as they say. Then I was thinking about one thing that I'm super passionate about is remote work. Um, Trello was remotely distributed since 2014. Right before the pandemic, I was writing and traveling around the world, speaking about how the future was going to be remote work. And no one really, everyone sort of laughed at me (laughs) and then the pandemic happened. So I I think that an area that I'm very excited about because there's much more mainstream opportunity and adoption now are tools and services that enable mass remote work, uh, remote work at scale. So that's an area that I really enjoy investing in. And then I think that there's like a third category, maybe, maybe third and fourth category where it's like, if it's an amazing founder someone that i've worked with before someone that i really believe in what they're doing like i'm going to write the check because it's it i call that bucket like the opportunistic bucket and i i do end up making some investments out of there because I, I don't think you. There has to be flexibility, and then maybe the fourth bucket for me is learning. I, you know, I started out not investing in anything consumer related because I don't know, I don't have any consumer experience. But what I've learned is like angel investing is a way to learn about different industries and a lot of things that I've done in B two B SaaS can be applied in in other areas. So I've. I've written some checks in areas like healthcare and, um, or, uh, you know, health tech, let's say, and, um, and direct to consumer products where literally my whole goal is obviously like, I hope that it'll be a great investment, but also yeah. just to get exposure to a different vertical that, you know, I don't know about.
1: Yeah. That's helpful to hear, to hear that side of things and how you can look at things. I'm curious for you, how do you get that conviction around writing a check? Because we have a lot of, New investors in the Bios Angels group, and there's a lot of new investors out there because you are seeing these different ways of getting in, into startup investing, whether it be through crowdfunding or other things. Like, people are starting to get into this, they're hearing more about it. Like, for you, what gave you the conviction or gives you the conviction now to like, actually pull the trigger on an investment to do that? Like, what what is it about it for you?
0: I, I have seen from my own career in life how uh, angel investing enables wealth creation through the angel investors that have invested in, in my startups. So I think it's a pretty natural thing as an operator to to want to do that yourself. I think, you know, you also have to think like, I'm not a public market investor. I can't make myself care about looking at EBITDA and like, you know, even though I have an MBA, but like, you know, I, I, My unfair advantage is early stage technology. So that's where I think that I can have an impact. And then I think like what I would do is I I think about it um, sort of systematically, like I set aside some number where I'm like, okay, this is how much I'm going to invest into early stage tech. And then I think about it by stage two, like, this is how much I'm going to invest pre-seed, seed, series A, and then I've invested like once or twice in a series B. So I think about it that way. And I think the other thing is there is some pattern recognition. I should say I did intern um, at a VC firm when I was in business school. So I had some exposure to how this is done institutionally. Once you start seeing deals, once you start talking to founders, once you start um, helping and seeing like where you add value, you, I think you, you develop a feel for when you see something that's really worthwhile versus something where you, um, or you don't. And I think for me, the very hardest thing, because I've been a founder, is saying no to other founders. Because yeah. I mean, if it were up to me, I would invest in everything, but that's just not how, that's not how the game works.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunately yeah not how the game works. You can't. You see so many great you know great companies all the time, especially being at you know Vitalize. We see tons. I know Gail mentioned on Twitter recently, like twenty five or so people are pitching her a day. Like that's just crazy. Her, you know then Carolina team gets people pitched. I get people to me. So like it's wild the the volume and especially if you're doing a job, if you have a presence on social, like you're getting a lot of good deals. You can't invest in all of them, unfortunately. And and one of the things too I wanted to talk about I just saw you from your Twitter is like I think you mentioned a thing around like gender disparity between sharing deals, women sharing deals versus men sharing deals and like the dynamics of that. Like, take me through more of that and how you see, you know, deal sourcing and sharing deals and that more broadly.
0: Well, it's a very opaque process, um, sourcing deals that is, it's a lot of like old school networking and i definitely noticed once i started actively angel investing that the men who i knew who are all angel investing were like texting each other and would be totally okay with it and it having it be very informal like have you know having these deal conversations transactionally in addition to whatever social thing they were doing and i find that women are much more like ooh i don't want to like bug this person or you know, and I find myself thinking that too, like, oh, I don't want to like, or like, mm, am I qualified to invest in this thing? Or maybe I'm not going to add value. And, you know, and it sucks. And I think that there are a number of people who have recognized this and are doing things to help um, both from a um, organizational and also informally. So informally, like I have started a group of women angel investors in Chicago, where we're trying to share deals with each other. I'm also part of a couple other ones, one that's based in New York, and then one that's based in um, the Bay Area, where it's like women and or people of color, or, you know, people who ha- um, don't have advantage the advantage of like being in these um, investor networks that are like the traditional VCs. So I, you know, as an angel investor, investor in general, you're trying to have multiple sources of deal flow, and I have found those to be really, um, really great. The other thing I'll say is I'm definitely noticing a trend where founders who care about having diverse cap tables will put aside an allocation for. Strategic uh, women or people of color, whatever, to diversify their cap tables. And I love that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, I will always, I will happily write a check <laughs> into an oversubscribed deal of a company yes. that I love. I think it's also great signaling because a lot of the founders who do that, you know, are building cultures that are inclusive and are, you know, places where people want to work, which is important in such a like crazy job market that we have today. So, You know, there's a lot of work to be done, um, and there's a lot of people who are doing the work. So that's at least good.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think it's something where it's like it's not only like the right thing to do; it just also makes business sense. Like you know, diverse teams uh, outperform. So it's like, why would you not want to have that in every aspect of you? Both building your company and your investors in your company, and that's something. Yeah, we get pretty amped up about at Vitalize as well in terms of what we're doing.
0: I I totally agree. It's like whenever I see a deck and it's like all, you know, like all white dudes, it's such a turnoff for me because it's also like, are, do they not have the self-awareness to, you know, to think about, uh, think about the, how the, the better outcomes and things like that. So it's, I think it's a nice sign of how the world is changing. When I did, uh, when I did work in VC like Know, eight years ago, or 10 years ago, or whatever, at this point, it was a very different. Uh, it was not like the environment <laughs> today where people would care about these things. Like, so for me, I find it very refreshing.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I want to go back to you mentioned earlier, and I also I saw you post on Twitter as well. I tried to do my research here is with, with the whole idea of being an operator, you know, a founder, whatever, and then also angel investing and the time for that I mean, how did you balance that while you're at Trello at at Atlassian, same thing? Like, how did you balance that with angel investing and wanting to help these companies you invest in? Like, take me through how that went for you. I know it wasn't necessarily perfect, but I'm curious for other people who are listening, you know, how you manage that.
0: Not well. (laughs) I think I would do it very differently this time around. But I basically just made my first couple of investments and then didn't really do much. And then I started doing a little bit of the LP investing, which is much more hands-off. And then it was only when I made sort of the conscious decision that like, hey, I know I'm leaving Atlassian soon. This is something that I'm interested in doing that I really started to network and talk to people and uh, source deals and build up, you know, these sources of deal flow. I don't know how that's like, <laughs> I, I would ask other operators, I don't know how you find time to do this because like I was leading a fairly large team, you know, I have a family. I, you know, I'm trying to balance all of these things that everybody's trying to balance. And unfortunately it wasn't really until I said like, this is an important thing I'm going to start focusing on that I actually did it.
1: Yeah. And and for you too, with that experience you have with that marketing experience for many years in marketing at a large company, I mean, how does that work typically when you're working with founders? I'm sure it's always different case by case basis, but are they asking you a lot for help on the marketing side? Are you like, Hey, I have these skills. I can help with X, Y, Z. Like, how's that gone for you, Stella?
0: I think the value that I can really provide now is much more strategic. And I think that's what you want when you're a founder, because, um, you know, you want people to bring their experience and their lens and the pattern recognition that comes from so many years of building a team. So, I, you know, the things that I really can help with are early go-to-market strategy, um, hiring, like what should my first marketing hire look like? Should I hire a VP of marketing? Should I hire someone more junior? How do I build out the team? You know, when should we start thinking about marketing? What should the, you know, go to market motion look like? How do marketing and sales work together? How do product and marketing work together? So all these things like, and I think the interesting thing too is that, um, you know, I have my operator set of experiences and now I have, Kind of some advisory and uh, investing set of experiences where I can pull from, like, "Hey, this company did it this way, and you know, this is how it worked out for them." So it becomes a much more like portfolio approach to um, giving advice. But yeah, I think it's interesting that most companies, most startups, will have the same like handful of questions. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> always happy to answer.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to have like think about investors. Always, it's not necessarily have deep expertise on everything, but it's going to be this broader, like kind of more shallow expertise. But for a founder's perspective, like that's really useful at least to get you going and start and and, maybe headed in the right right direction. Um, I think that's a really useful aspect of, you know, talking to your investors and getting that perspective. And to your point, also like who you bring on your cap table based on that expertise they may have. And, you know, have they've seen a lot of deals in whatever sector or they, you know, if they have deep domain expertise or they have that deep marketing expertise like you mentioned as well. And so, always just talking to founders, like thinking through that, when you're thinking of who's on your cap table, you have this opportunity with equity to bring in all these interesting people to help you grow your company and like to really think about that deeply.
0: And I find that founders want, you know, there's sort of like the professional investors that they bring in and there's a certain set of expectations that comes with that. But when they're bringing in and they're thinking about their cap table construction They want someone who has product experience or, you know, industry experience or marketing. So I think um, from branding yourself as an angel investor, there's an important question to ask of like, what value do I bring? Um, Because you don't want to just be writing a check. You want to have that relationship. You want to help the business like, you know. Every the first of the month, usually I get a whole influx of uh, company updates and I always read, read everything and then I go down to the how you can help section and I try to do something every month if I can for the companies and that'll be things like sourcing candidates for executive roles or you know, sharing something on social media or if they um, a lot of right now, since hiring is such a an issue, like it is a lot of taking advantage of the awesome people that I have in my network and not just marketing. Like there was one a few weeks ago that I ended up sourcing a couple of like VP of people um, candidates for them and they were very happy. So
1: yeah, that's interesting to hear that. I mean, th- there's so many ways you can add value as an, as an angel. And I've heard it from different people I've, I've talked to as well. And some people, you know, you look at on Twitter, if you're on Twitter at all, you you see some people who have massive audiences getting access to all of these companies because they obviously had distribution, which then yes. plays a role in a lot of consumer companies. You look at uh, yes. Packy McCormick, you look at Lenny's newsletter, you look at a lot of different people out there, uh, different, different sources out there who had that value add and they can get access to deals because they're someone that strategically they want in their cap table. So like as an angel, you got to think through what your advantage is, like you mentioned. And I think interesting thing too, you mentioned about being an LP. Take me through that side of things. How do you think through being an LP? Because I had this discussion not long ago with another lady who mentioned, you know, to really get venture dollars flowing to diverse mix of people it starts at the top. And if you have more L- yes. women LPs, people of color LPs, like that yes. flows down. Like how did you get started with that?
0: That is so true because what ends up happening is that the deals are reflective of the network of the partner at the venture capital firm and and their and their perspective. So I think that the best thing to do is it, it's not just gender diversity, it's industry diversity. It's all the different kinds of diversity, like that's really what you should be aiming for. You know, I have written checks um, as an LP to female-led funds in debut funds, too, because women who are sort of going off on their own and after having institutional experience, I I love writing those checks because I know that those <laughs> women are going to work really hard and that the odds are against them. Right now, I'm not uh, right now I'm not focused on writing more LP checks because you know you have a different kind of a return profile when you're investing in a venture fund. And I'm sort of more interested in direct cap table investing these days. But um, I still think it's it's very important and. The other uh, one of the trends that I'm seeing is that there are a lot of angel investors who are now going off and raising their own funds or starting their own syndicates to, um, you know, share pro rata rights with people who are interested. So um, that's another way to uh, contribute and and get involved.
1: I know we're almost out of time here. One last question I'm curious about is just any other trends or things in future work you're excited about, interested in, just anything else there?
0: I'm very interested in things that enable remote work. Right now, there's a lot of pain with things like organizing off sites or knowing when people are working and when people are not working. And sitting in Zoom all day is what we're doing today, but that's not going to be what we're doing two, three years from now. There's going to be a whole slew of new ways of working and new tools and asynchronous work and my uh I'm just really interested in learning and seeing um what those are it's really challenging to get people to try new things and for those things to stick (laughs) so I think that's the that's the real uh opportunity and the question is like what's gonna what's gonna be the next slack or what's gonna be the next zoom um I, I think about that a lot.
1: Stella, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they would, if they would like to?
0: You can follow me or DM me on Twitter. It's just at Startup Stella.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, Stella. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Gordon 212 Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.